And so now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, as we look into your word and what it says to us. So come, Holy Spirit, speak to us. We pray this in your name. All God's people said, amen. I invite you to remain standing with me. We read the scriptures out loud each week, and we stand together out of reverence for God's word. And so I'm going to read from the letter of 1 John, chapter 2. It'll be on the screen, and you can follow along. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one which you have heard since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him, that's in Jesus, and in you, that's the church. Because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Who's the light? Jesus is the light. Now listen, anyone who claims to be in the light, Jesus, but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light in Jesus, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But if anyone hates a brother or sister, anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing out of reverence for God's word. Well, we're in a series, we're in week two of a series called Heart to Heart, and what are we talking about um, in this series? We're talking about uh, you and I making the kinds of connections as human beings with each other uh, in a way that makes life bearable. When I was growing up, there was a family in our church, they lived, I've told you, if you've been here uh, around for a bit, you might have heard me talk about this family, but um, I loved going to their house, kind of lived out in the country, Fort Calhoun, Nebraska, um, and they lived kind of on this little bit of a ranch, and and, uh, I remember I was walking through the woods one day, because I would go out and I would explore, when we would go to their house, I would just go explore, and uh, I came across out in the middle of the woods, I I don't don't know how far it would have been from their main house, but uh, I, I came across what looked like a hut. I don't have any other language for a hut. I, I stuck my head in the window because the windows were kind of off and it looked nasty and dirty. And sure enough, I looked inside and it was filled. The floor was covered with newspapers and it was, I was probably nine, maybe 10 years old. And it was clear to me that the newspapers had been laid down and then more newspapers had been laid on top of that. And then, and it smelled bad. And so I, I didn't see anybody, but then I went back to the house and I said, hey, there's, did you know there is a, 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 like a, a, like a hut over here? And Lee, who I just adored, she said, oh, oh, that's Carl's house. I said, who is Carl? She said, well, she tried to explain it as best she could to, you know, a nine or 10 year old. She said, well, Carl, uh, Carl is a hermit. And that was my first introduction to a hermit. What's a hermit? A hermit is a person who lives by themselves because they don't want anything to do with people, right? I know some of us are like, I think I could be a hermit. (laughs) You live long enough, right? Why am I telling you this story? Well, I think most of us, we we started talking about this last week. Most of us, uh, as a result of all we've been through the last several years, we're, we're kind of what I'm calling turtling up. We're, we're choosing the Carl strategy for life. 
Now, I'm just going to tell you, if you pick the Carl strategy for life, then you end up where Carl ended up with newspaper on your floor. I don't know if that's where you want to go today, uh, but I'm here to tell you, don't go there. <laughs> so we're, we're talking about that. You do what Carl did, you end up like Carl. Um, but we're, we're, we're trying to figure out, okay, in the moment when we might feel like that would be an alternative, how do we begin to make the connections that bring us the joy that God meant for us to have in life? And that's what John writes to us about in this letter. Now, I have this little saying, if you've been around, you've heard me say this, uh, and it goes like this, so go your relationships, so goes your life. Have you ever had a boss that you just cannot stand? I hope none of the staff raises their hand, uh, just because you thought I'd be bad. Have you ever had a boss, you just can't stand them, you know, and you, you, you go to work and you're like, oh, it just, that relationship makes the larger percentage of your week miserable, right? Because so go your relationships, so goes your life. Have you ever been uh, married and it's like you're struggling to, to connect with each other and you're feeling it, right? So go your relationships, so go your life. I know for a lot of people during the last couple of years when everybody was forced inside and then people have chosen to stay inside to some degree. Uh, some people have fear, felt like, you know, wait a second. I thought I had all of these close relationships, and then it seems like everybody abandoned me during the last two years. I just want to tell you that everybody you know has had that experience. It's not just you. And I, I, what we're trying to understand together is that life is a team sport, and the testimony of the Bible from the first chapter of the Bible to the last is that life is a team sport. If you go to the book of Genesis, you find out that when God created Adam, the first thing God said about Adam, he said, it is not good that man should be what? You know the word? Alone, right? It is not good. And, and love is both how you win at life and it's the prize for succeeding. So in other words, love is the path and the prize for succeeding at life. And so we're going to talk about that today from what John tells us here in 1 John chapter 2. Now, um, who, who in the world is John? I don't know if you've had that thought. John, uh, most people think that, uh, that John here is James and John, one of the disciples of Jesus. And, and it's really interesting if you've read his other gospel, John, the gospel of John. Uh, he uses this phrase to describe himself. And he says the, the, repeatedly, the disciple that Jesus loved. He repeats it. The disciple that Jesus loved. In other words, that's how he defined himself. I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. He watched how Jesus loved him, and he said, you know what? That changed everything about me. I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, that's not unimportant. You'll see why here in just a few minutes especially for us as, as guys, because, you know, we, we, we are taught, wrongfully so, I think, that emotion is not our thing, and that's a, that's a female thing, and, and here we are as guys, we're trying to make connections with other people. We don't always know how to do it. I know generations previous, I, uh, my dad's generation, that was, uh, I, and I'm, I'm making a broad brush statement here, but that, that was not, you didn't really talk about your emotions. That was like not a thing you expressed. You would love someone and you'd feel something. And again, I know I'm painting with a broad brush, so forgive me. But today, we're trying to figure out something different. How might we go about it in a way that meets the need? Listen, you need to be loved. That does not make you needy. That makes you human. Do you understand? 
So John's talking to us about love, and John tells us here three things that we need to do and know if we're going to live in the light. Let me just give the three things to you, and then let me unpack them for you here in these, these minutes we have together. Uh, number one, we need to know what Jesus is like. Number two, we need to see what it is we're to do in response. And then number three, we're going to change things the way that Christians have always changed things. Let me, let me jump into these. Know what, what Jesus is like. Here's what John says, First John chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to put it on the screen for you. If you have your Bible, open it, follow along. We're going to be working through these verses here together. John says, listen, uh, dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. I mean, the human problem, the human problem that you and I have is our failure. We're always wrestling with our failure, and we don't know what to do with it. My son and I started a, a show last night, um, like any good show, and it's highly rated. It's about a lawyer. And the centerpiece of the whole story is what this guy is trying to do with his life based on the fact that he's been nothing but a failure. He's, he's missed the mark. The word there for sin that John translates is a word from archery, and it means to miss the mark. And, and in any great story, any great movie, it, it almost always has at the center the failure, the, the inability of someone to hit the mark, and it's the, the failure that makes them struggle, and it brings the darkness of uncertainty into their life. And it's the human problem, right? What do we do about our failure? How do we deal with it? Now, you know, don't you, that the, the solution that our culture offers to solve this problem, do you know what the solution is? There is no solution. <laughs> uh, it, there's, there's kind of this spectrum that exists. On, on the one hand, you just need to accept the fact that life is awful, or on the other hand, you just need to be really, really positive, and you need to understand no one is coming to your defense. You will have no advocate. It is up to you 100% to figure it out, and you're in the dark, and here's hoping that you can find the light switch. That's kind of the answer that our culture is given. And so here's what John says. I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin, so that you won't miss the mark and you won't fail. Now, wouldn't it be amazing if your failures stopped being one of your problems? Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> I mean, think about that with me for a second. I know for a fact that my wife would think I'm a better husband. My kids would think I'm a better dad. You would think that I'm a better pastor. Uh, if, you, if you were able to overcome your failures, I mean, you probably would get raises and promotions and opportunities. And, but the reality is, is that you fail and you come up short and you miss the mark and you sin. And so John says, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But then he's telling us what Jesus is like, so stay with me here. But if anybody does sin, if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. That, that word there, advocate, is a, a word that only John uses in all of the New Testament. He uses it here in his letter twice. He uses it several times in his gospel, in the gospel of John. And it's a very unique word. It often gets translated as the Holy Spirit uh, in the gospel of John. And it's just a word that means uh, someone who comes alongside us and comes to our aid. You, you know, if you, get rest, if you get arrested today, I hope that doesn't happen, but if you get arrested today and you're driving home and you're driving way too fast and the officer's like, out of the car, and you, you're in some trouble, he's going to say some words to you and he's going to say, if you do not have an attorney, one will be appointed for you by the court. I, I hope you don't hear those words today. But here's what John's saying is, is Jesus is an advocate 
that you and I cannot afford. He, he shows up and he's alongside. So John, John's saying, well, what's God like? We, we talked about the fact last week that God, John says God is light. And so God is uh, an advocate in the darkness of your sin and your failure. Why? Because God wants you in the light with him. And so he comes to your defense. And what does the advocate do for you? Heap shame on you? No. Listen to what he says in verse 2. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. One, one word there, atoning sacrifice in the, in the Greek language, and it, it has this kind of meaning that there's, because of sin, because of our failure, because of our inability to hit the mark, there's this sense of accumulated anger and accumulated shame and accumulated pain, and we don't know what to do with that. And what Jesus, the advocate, does for you in the moment that you're like, I don't know what to do with this giant pile of mess. I don't know how to remove it. What Jesus comes and does is he is the atoning sacrifice. It it means removes all of that from you. In fact, the word there, atonement, most, most people think that came from William Tyndale, who helped to translate the King James. So this is 500 years ago. And, and, and William Tyndale came to this word atoning sacrifice and he's in, in the original language. He's like, how do, I, how do I put that concept together so that people understand what, what's trying to be communicated here? And he says, oh, I know what it is. I know what it is. Where we were separate and divided, now we are at one meant with another. It is atonement. Do you see that? <laughs> like, like that's what Jesus does. What is Jesus like? He's the source of healing in your life for the problem of your life. Now, if you don't have that, I just want to ask you, how in the world do you plan on removing the accumulated anger and shame and pain? What you got? John wants you to know that Jesus is the one who does that. That's what Jesus is like. We have to see that. And then we have to see what it is that we're to do in response. I want you to notice this. Verse 3 says, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a what? Liar, and the truth is not in that person. So here, let, follow John's logic. If you say, yes, I have sinned and I have failed. If you say, yes, I recognize that Jesus is the advocate. If you say, yes, he's the atoning sacrifice for not only my sins, but for the sins of the whole world. If you receive those benefits, John says, listen, if you've done that, here's how you can know if it took in you or not. Have you ever been in a medical situation and they give you some medicine and then they tell you they have to wait a little bit to see if it took or not? Do, do you know what I'm saying? John's saying, listen, do you want to know if all you think you had with God, you want to know if it took or not? I'll tell you how. Here's how you know. Acid test. You do what Jesus says. Full stop. And if you don't, John says, then you're just lying to yourself about your faith. And then, then he goes on and he says, but if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Now, I want to spend just the next few minutes and... Um, as, as I say these next things to you, because what John tells us is both painful and freeing, and as we work to apply this, I, here's, what I'm, here's what I'm trying to say to you. This has the potential to change your life 
forever. I know you hear pastors say that. We, you know, we use hyperbole all the time. Like, this will change. I promise this actually will. <laughs> and I, I really believe because we're at a crux moment in, in, in Christianity in America, and I'm deeply concerned for the, the broader church in America, I really believe that if we would pay attention to what John says, we would have the ability as the people of God to convert again the church in America. I, I, I really do. And, and I, frankly, if we don't get what John says right here in the next couple of minutes— um, then we're honestly, we're done. We're done for. So here's what John does, is he equates the, the commands of Jesus, keeping his commands, with living as Jesus did. Now, I want you to, I'm going to help me make some connections for you here. Then that makes you have to say, okay, well, then what are Jesus' commands? You can't hear this and go, oh, okay, so I, what this is, is I'm supposed to keep all of the rules or Jesus will be mad at me. John is not talking in riddles and mysteries like that. He's not, he's not throwing condemnation in your direction. He's saying, no, no. I lived with Jesus. I watched how Jesus lived. I know that he's the advocate from God. I know he's the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. And here is what Jesus is about. And here is what you and I are to be about. Let me give you really quickly three examples from the ministry of Jesus, the commands Jesus gave. John would have heard this. This is in his gospel in John chapter 13. He's with, Jesus is with his disciples, and he says, a new command I give you. Can you read the words, the three words there? What is it? Love one another. So Jesus is saying, okay, listen, there is a vertical relationship that you have with God. And that vertical relationship that you have with God is meant to be expressed in the horizontal relationship that you have with other people. Now, John is, again, he's saying, listen, I'm telling you, this is what Jesus did. So much so that I now define myself by the fact that I'm the disciple that Jesus loves. That's what Jesus did. I watched him do it. Now, you could go to a, a story, and this is so many. I'm going to give you three. I mean, you could give you 30. Um, but Jesus tells his, one of his most famous stories is the Good Samaritan, and it's in Luke chapter 10. You can read it later today. Everybody that was Jewish in that day hated the Samaritans. It was a, a cultural, uh, there was an ethnic, uh, racial difficulty to all of that. And, and the word um, for hate in the Greek language is maseo. Can you say that? Maseo, uh, Maseo, and they, they Maseoed the, the Samaritan. They loathed them. They detested them. And someone comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what's the great commandment? And Jesus says, okay, well, and how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus is like, well, keep the commandments. And what are the commandments? And this guy answers Jesus, oh, it's you love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then you love your neighbor as yourself. And, and Jesus is like, yep, that's it. That's exactly it. And then verse 29, but that man wanting to justify himself asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells the famous story of the, the good Samaritan. And then at the end, I want you to notice what happened, this little interchange that happens here. Jesus asks the man in verse 36 of Luke chapter 10, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And then the expert in the law, the Jewish person who misaoed the Samaritans, says, well, notice he won't even say the Samaritan, won't even say the word, <laughs> the one who had mercy on him. I imagine that's how he said it. And Jesus says, go and do Likewise. Now, John is, again, he's saying, I watched what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. He went and did likewise. While the religious people that had all the information missed the point. 
I'll give you another example. Matthew chapter 18, very famous passage where Jesus talks about how to resolve conflict in the church and uh, wonderful, wonderful advice here. Matthew 18, 15, um, I'll read it. You know, he says, if your brother sins against you and, and, you know, go to him. And if that doesn't work, then take someone else. If that doesn't work, you know, bring it to a broader perspective of the church. And then everybody's tracking with Jesus at this point. And then I want you to see verse 17, what Jesus says. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. If they refuse to listen, even to the church. Notice what Jesus says. This is what Jesus did. Treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, if you read the Gospels, what is it that Jesus gets in trouble for over and over again with the religious leaders? Let me rephrase the question. Who does Jesus get in trouble for spending too much time with and loving over and over and over again? Who? Who? The pagans and the tax collectors. And everybody misailed that the Jews hated the pagans and the tax collectors. They loathed them. And what did Jesus do with them? He's like, okay, now, if it doesn't work, and it doesn't work, and it doesn't work. Well, I'll tell you what you do. You treat them like you've seen me treat all of those people that everybody says we're supposed to hate. That's what you do. And John here is saying, this is how Jesus lived. And I'll give it to you like this. Jesus was known for his love for the people everyone loved to hate. And we're to be known for the same thing. And my giant question for us and for the church at large and for myself is, how are we doing at that? Now, real quickly, the last thing is we have to change things the way Christians have always changed things, and John underlines that in three different verses, verse 9, 10, and 11. Let me give these to you quickly. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. So in other words, let's, 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 re, let's rewind. You say, I'm a sinner, and there is an advocate, and uh, my sins have been atoned for. So I am a Christian, and God loves me, and I have a relationship with God, and I am a person of faith, and my faith is the center of my life, and I have changed everything about my life because of my faith. If you say that, John says, if you, the word there, claim, is the word lego, which, is, uh, which means uh, to say or just use words. If you use words and you say all of that, John says, Claim to be in the light, but you hate a brother or sister. That word again. But you hate a brother or sister. Messiah, loathe, detest. I'll give you a, 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 a theological definition from a theological dictionary. To strongly dislike or have aversion towards someone or something that usually results in separation between the one who hates and the thing hated. How do you know if someone hates you? Well, I mean, they won't talk to you. Uh, they generally avoid you. They're happy to talk trash about you when you're not present. Um, they're not going to put you in the best light, and they're likely going to try to do their best to point out how you are wrong and full of error. But here's the, here's the crux thing that you know when someone loathes or detests you, or you loathe or detest someone. What you do is you separate yourself from them. You're like, oh, no, no. And, and the Samaritans, see all the Jewish people, they separated themselves because they loathed. They separated themselves from the pagans. They separated themselves from the tax collectors. And honestly, this is our issue at the moment. And what we're willing to do is separate from our brother or sister because they don't happen to see it like we do. And John says, that person is still in the darkness. Oh. 
Then verse 10, anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. So do you want to have a life where you don't stumble around and live as Jesus did and love people, period? Listen, faith is not a theology test. It is a love test. God is not going to ask me on the day of judgment, Scott, was it uh, communion? Was it consubstantiation or transubstantiation? Scott, did you, did you sort out if John Calvin or if John Wesley was correct in their understanding of the perseverance of the saints? Scott, did, did, were you aware? Did you, did, you, did you think you could baptize an infant or did the person have to make the decision themselves as an adult? Scott, were you able to sort out if in, in corporate worship it's supposed to be for the Christians or for, if it's supposed to be the people who are on the outside? Did you sort all those things out, Scott? God is not going to add. The theology is tested by how we treat people, not by how much we know. Listen, you're never going to hear from me that theology is unimportant. Paul actually says that we're to pay attention to our doctrine. But both Paul and John are, are just, they're just tapping into Jesus and they're saying, listen, the test of your theology and your belief and your understanding about God, the acid test is how you treat other people who are not like you and who you disagree with. Are you tracking with me? Now, we're going to talk in a couple weeks about the meaning of love because love does not just mean be nice. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. But, but you and I are going to have to, you're going to, I are going to, have to dig down on this. And then, then this is the last thing he says, Sean, if you'll come up. There's a, there's a massive error that we're making in the church right now, and we've misunderstood what faith in the church are. And, and so we think this is a place to come where we can be with people we agree with. Listen, you and I are not here because we have the same education level and the same socioeconomic status and the same politics and the same background and the same interests. We are solely here. We are only together because of the redemptive love of Jesus poured out for you on the cross. That's it. There's nothing else. That's the whole deal. And, and the sanctuary, a room like this, is not where we go to get away from people who aren't like us. The sanctuary is Jesus and his redemption. And it's where we go to find out we're strong from the inside out because God puts his Holy Spirit in us. And so greater is he that is in me than, in, than he that is in the world. Like that's, that's what it is. Now you may be going, well, I don't know if I agree with that. What, what does John say is the acid test? If, if, you, if you claim to know him, you must live as Jesus did. Now, you know that Jesus picked 12 disciples, right? I don't know if you've ever done any kind of study about the kind of people that he picked. Uh, if, go, go, go read the list. It's in, in the four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then in Acts. One, one of the people he picked was uh, Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot, um, what if today we would say that was a person on the far left, like an anarchist, wants to just tear the whole system down? So he, he, went to, he went to that guy and he said, I want you to follow me. And then Jesus also picked Matthew, the tax collector, who wrote the gospel of Matthew. And Matthew would have been someone on the far right. He was a conspirator with everything. He, he sold out his own people for the money. So Jesus picks these people that are on absolute poles. And he's like, you, why don't you all follow me? I'll teach you a different way. That is what Jesus did. 
So we got to say it loud. I just want you to say this out loud with me. First um, John chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. We're going to put it on the screen. Would you, would you read this out loud with me? This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. That means that if Jesus did it, guess what that means for me and for you and for us? That means we do it too. So last one, and then we're done. But if anyone, verse 11, hates a brother or sister, that person's in the darkness and they walk around in the darkness. I, I know you've heard, you know, in school, you heard about the dark ages. And, and the dark ages, historians say, were this time where we regressed. Now, I, I, some of you that are historic, history buffs are going to say, well, well, we just didn't know. Okay, all right, I, I get what you're saying. But, but the point being is we, we, we had this moment in our history as people where we went backwards. And I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, this is why I say this is so critical. I'm wondering, are, are we getting ready to move into a new time of the dark ages where we regress and we go back to like, well, we go in the corner with the people who agree with me and I'm just going to love them and I'm going to hate everybody else. I'm going to loathe them. I'm going to separate myself from them. Or will, be, will, this be the, will this be our finest moment where we actually start to do as Jesus did and we're like, oh, no, no, no. We're bridge builders. <laughs> we're peacemakers. No, we bring people together in the name of Jesus. We don't push people apart. Now, listen, I want to go back to what John said here at the beginning because you hear words like this. It's convicted. I was convicted this week. And you need to hear again what John says. Listen, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin so that you will not hate your brother because he's different than you. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Do you hear that? That's for you. You could this morning, you could, you could change your mind. You could change your thinking. You could say, oh God, I've been going the wrong way. I've allowed myself to go down the path of hate and I'm sorry. I've, forgive me, God. Forgive me. I've made it about something else. I've made it about theology or I've made it about Bible knowledge or I've made it, made it about what I like or I've made it about my politics. God, I'm sorry. I forgive me. I want to do what you, I want to just do what you did. I just, I, gotta, I just got to ask you, will you? I mean, it's going to define everything. It's going to define, the, if the church misses this, oh, my word. You and I, we're, we're called for this moment. You, you're put here for such a time as this. This is our moment to just go, whatever Jesus did, we're going to do. Whoever Jesus loved, we're going to love. How Jesus resolved conflict, that's how we're going to resolve conflict. What Jesus did with disagreement, that's how we're going to resolve disagreement. We're, we're just going to do that. We're going to be those people. So I want to invite you to stand with me, would you? I, I don't, I don't, it's just a constant temptation. I, I don't want you to go down the, the Carl path. I, I, I wish I'd known Carl. I, I met him once, but I, I'm sure Carl would have a story of the, the hurt and the pain and the way people pushed him aside. And, and his choice was to say, ah, just forget it. Blah, I'm done. I want us to choose the Jesus path, which is the path of 
reconciliation and healing. And you will have to choose it today. You're going to choose it today, and then you're going to have to choose it again tomorrow, and then you have to choose it again on Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, when someone says something to you or you hear it on the news and someone like tries to drive the wedge, oh, you ought to hate those people because of, you go, oh, no, no, that's not the Jesus way. I'm not about that. I may have been before, but I'm not doing that anymore. And together, we're going to follow Jesus. And we're going to do what he did. Uh, would you, like this, can you, I, I like to pray sometimes with my, with my, my whole body. And, and could you hold out your hands like this, just as a way of saying you want to receive it? God, we want to receive from you that before uh, we ever made any decisions that you were the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for us, but for the sins of the whole world, that from the foundation of the world, the Lamb of God, you've been, you've been, you, you, you died for our sins. <laughs> we receive what you have done for us on the cross, the forgiveness that you bring to us, the healing from the past hurts, the past decisions that we have made, the decisions people have made against us. We receive the healing benefits of what happens on what happened on the cross for us. We receive it in this moment, God. We thank you for it. Now, God, give us the courage to walk out of here as people who live like you did, with renewed hearts to follow you wherever you take us, to be bridge builders and peacemakers in a world driven apart. Oh, God, may this not be the dark ages, but may this be the time the light shines through us, oh, Lord. We ask this in your name and all of God's people who wanted that said.